One of the coolest things that you can do to help your buyer make a decision is to create a buyer's guide that influences and persuades them on the way that they should buy, which is your way. So what are some ways to put that together? What are the right ways to do it? What's the framework? And how can you put this in place? Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Sylvanbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from the North Shore of Oahu today. Today's a fantastic day. I'm coming to you live from Holly Eva Ali'i Beach Park. And I gotta say, it's pretty impressive out here. I'm 30 feet from the water. There's three people on the beach. Probably about 100 yards away, there's a husband, a wife, and a little kid that's running around screaming. But nobody else. So the reason I'm letting you know that is uh, you will hear some noise in the background. Those are real waves crashing. Occasionally, you might hear somebody walking by. But I do everything I can to edit that out. Today's episode is how to sell show number 201, how to create a buyer's guide. And that may be a little bit different by the time that I do some research and come up with a different name, or it could be the name that it gets released with. And I want to give you a heads up. I want to give you a concept, an idea, a strategy, and this is going to take a little bit of work on your part. So if you're like, I'm just going to listen to a podcast episode, sure, you can do that. But I'm literally giving you an assignment today of coming up with a buyer's guide. Now, there, there is some work on your end to help this strategy go along, and I'm going to line out as much as I can for you. So the, one of the coolest things that you can do for your product, your service, your industry, whatever you have to offer, is to create a buyer's guide. And this is a guide to help the people that you serve make a good decision. So like if you ever talk to somebody and they're like, hey, sales guy, hey, sales girl, I'm getting three bids. Well... There are people who get three bids for the sole purpose of finding the lowest price. Then there are people who get three bids to gather intel. Then there are people who get three bids to really look for the right provider for them. Now, there's a lot of myths about three bids. It was started by the government, and they would give a list of qualifications of things that they wanted to have done, a punch list. You know, they like, has to have these features, has to have all these things. But in today's day and age, it's kind of become bastardized, and it's not really the direction that it goes. So nobody really knows how to buy, right? I want you to think about that because it's an important concept that most people don't really have a a decision process to make a purchase. So they don't know how to buy. So a buyer's guide helps them make some decisions. Now, does it mean that they're going to go with you? No. But does it mean that you can have a lot more influence on the way that they do purchase? Absolutely. So... Side note, on a Wednesday, on a full moon, when you stub your toe getting out of bed, there's probably somebody that this won't work with, okay? And very rarely have I found an industry that it doesn't work with. So if you're like, I don't know if this will work with my industry, you might have to put some thought and effort into it, okay? Now, the reason why this is important is because it separates you out. It makes you an expert. Just like if you are on film being interviewed, by default, you're an expert. If you create a guide for something, for somebody to do something, and 
it looks pretty logical. It looks like it's well thought out. It looks like it's well planned. Then by default, you are an expert or a quasi-expert. I wouldn't say the absolute expert, but it does give you some definition uh, above the people that you're competing with. So like some people would be like, oh, I've been in this industry for 30 years. Great. Where's your buyer's guide? Well, I don't have one. I've been in the industry for 30 years. You can circumvent some of the time that you're in the industry. Now, this doesn't work all the time, just like with anything else, but it makes you an expert. It allows for you to say like, here is something that you can do. You get to distill the concepts, the ideas, the reasons, the benefits, the features that you, that you think are important. Not what anybody else thinks is important, but what you think is important. And so like, if you had your own ability to have your own megaphone, your own commercial, your own radio show, your own podcast about the topic of whatever industry that you service, but if you think about it, your written version is something that gets to stay in the hands of the person. Now, you can go back and listen to this podcast and rewind it, but the cool thing about something in print is that you physically get to have your hands on it, right? So these are all the things that you think is important. Now, I, I want to talk to you about buyer psychology for a minute. So the, this is going to be important for you. When buyers make a purchase, it's, it's, there is a risk to them. There are problems that they face in the future for making the wrong decision. And on episode number 199, I went over risk versus reward. And, and part of this is nobody wants to look dumb or silly. At the end of the day, we all want to make good choices. We, we will go out of our way to not look dumb. And products that are, or, or services that are put into a buyer's guide help alleviate some of these fears. So you're literally reducing the risk of a buyer by helping them understand what to do with a buyer's guide. Now, think about this. You, when you create a buyer's guide, you envelop two of the three senses. Sen senses. You get, you get touch, you get C. The one that you don't get is here, but the person who's auditory can go back and rewind in their head and think about the things that you talked about. And so, like, when I buy stuff, sometimes salespeople will give me a brochure. They're like, here's my brochure. Well, a brochure really doesn't tell me anything. It really doesn't do anything for me. It's like, here's some technical specifications. Like, yeah, that's not very interesting to me. That's, that's not really exciting to me. Like, where's the breakdown? Where's the competition? Where is it better than anything else? The whole goal of a buyer's guide is to help somebody make a good decision. So when you, when you think about how you're going to build this out, you're going to want to put some thought to it. You're going to want to put some effort. You're going to have to put some effort into this because like a, a no effort buyer's guide, it'll net you some sales, but not nearly, not nearly as good as something you put some thought and effort in. And, and just so you know, these buyer's guides tend to evolve over time and I'll explain to you why here in a minute. So put some thought and effort into this. There's definitely places that you can go to gather your intel. There's definitely things that you can do to get your research done. So think through this. You can, you can write down all the questions buyers ask in a presentation. And this is a good idea for salespeople to do anyway. So like there, there, there's going to be your standard 10 to 15 questions that everybody asks. And if you've been in your position, your field, your industry, your service long enough, you're going to know what a good majority of those are. Okay. So you're going to write down all those questions. Uh, you're going to want to look at some of the reviews. Some of the complaints that people have about products, services, industries in your field. And it could even be your product because it could be a way for you to make better what you have. You have all the research 
for the most part that you need to make this happen. And if you don't, and you're like, hey, Scott, I'm brand new to sales. Good. Okay. Go, go meet with a closer and say, hey, can I get your help with something? I'm willing to pay you for your time. I'm willing to take you to lunch. I'm, I'm willing to do what it takes to gather this intel. Or we can co-brand this and we can work on it together. And sometimes the closer is going to be like, yeah, this sounds amazing. And sometimes they're going to say no. So if they say no, find somebody else. And if they say no, find somebody else. Somebody has this information that you need. So if you're like, Scott, I'm brand new. I don't have this. You, you, you can get it. You're just going to have to be a little bit persistent about it. And like, here's the thing. You don't want to drag your feet either. Because there's been people that I've taught this concept or this idea to. And I'll meet with them, I don't know, six months later. I'm like, what's going on with your buyer's guide? Oh, I never got around to it. <laughs> meet with them a year later. What's going on with your buyer's guide? Oh, I never did anything with it. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're leaving money on the table. You're, you're leaving your expertise behind. So I'm going to give you what you could possibly put in your buyer's guide. What you could add that's really going to help you out. Okay. So you're going to do 10 of the most common frequently asked questions. And if you have 15 listed out, find the ones that are kind of crossover questions, but come up with 10 really good frequently asked questions. They're the most highlighted. And you know, like realistically, some of these can be against your com competition, the people you compete against, the service, the products, the people. Some of them could be about competition, but I just wouldn't name XYZ company specifically or XYZ product specifically, okay? Just a personal preference. Some of it legal, some of it not. 10 should ask questions now. There is magic in these next 10, just so you know. There's some significant man mag <laughs> magic. And here's what the magic is. You get to direct in the mind of your buyer what should be important to them. You get to differentiate what's important in your wheelhouse, what you do better. So you're going to have to put some work into figuring out what is it that you provide better than anybody else. And you're going to turn these into questions. You're going to reverse engineer them. And it's going to take some work. You know, it might take you a couple of hours. I'm not talking about months. When I say work, it could take a few hours. But think about this. You, you are literally getting to dictate the buying criteria of somebody by saying, like, these are the questions you should be asking. It's like sometimes when I meet with a, with a company or a business owner and they ask me a question, I go, time out. You're asking all the wrong questions. It's like, this is how you, you reframe. This is, this is a reframe. Time out. You are asking all the wrong questions. You should be asking this. You should be looking at this. You're, the, the sales guy that just came out and talked to you or the sales girl that just came out and talked to you, whatever they said is erroneous. Whatever they told you doesn't matter. Whatever they told you isn't really accurate. What you need to know, like this is the big boy, big girl pants conversation. What you need to know is these are the most important things. And the reason why you're doing the SAQs after is, you know, you want people to feel safe. Like these are the frequently asked questions. Okay, these feel normal. These feel good. But these should ask questions. They're like, they're like sandwiched in. They're sandwiched in because what comes next is even going to be important too. So remember, nobody wants to take a risk. Nobody wants to look dumb. Nobody wants to look silly. So the next 10 things are going to be 10 common mistakes that people make. And these are the protections that you can explain to the buyer. These are the things that you don't want to do. These are the things that are going to cause you problems. So let's say that you have a product or service that costs more than anything else. And uh, you're up against Cheap Charlie. <laughs> In-home services, we call the cheap guy Cheap Charlie or Chuck in a truck, right? So like the 10 common mistakes might be buying on price. But you're not just going to make it generic and say buying on price because like that's just, it's too overt. 
you're going to have to put some thought into explaining why buying on price is the wrong thing to do. If that is what your common mistake is in your industry, okay? I'm giving you an example of dealing with cheap Charlie. So, like, if I was going to have to do this, I would say you want to work with a company that's going to come out and give you service when you need it. And if a company doesn't charge you enough for that, then what's going to happen is they're not going to be able to pay their service people to come out on 4th of July weekend, on Christmas, on New Year's, on Easter, on a birthday, on a holiday when you're going to need them the most, right? I didn't start with, don't go with a cheap guy. I, it, you can turn this into a story. You can turn it into a, like a few sentence story. You can make it pretty interesting. So you're going to do mix what you do that's really good and mix your combination of objections, okay? So we're going to go through this list again. 10 frequently asked questions, and they're the most common highlighted questions that you get. And you're probably going to have about a total of 15. The average for most of the industries that I work with is about 15 to 17. And some of those can really be combined, okay? Then you're going to do 10 should ask questions. This is your differentiation. This is your wheelhouse. This is what you do better. And it's, it's just a reframe of like, hey, listen, buyer, I got to tell you the truth. We're going to have to have the tough conversation. Like these are tough conversation topics, okay? And then 10 common mistakes that people make. Now, remember, you're, you're not going to do the cheesy thing and put the information up front. You're going to bury it. You're going to bury the idea or concept in the story or in the sentences. You're not going to lead off with, hey, people buy on price. No, like it's going to feel too overt. It's going to feel like, mm, I know what you're up against here, and I know what's coming, and I know why you put this together. So here's the thing. You're going to want to hand this to somebody that's not in your industry for them to take a look at and see how they respond. See what they do with it and, and let let them take a look at it and let them tear it apart. So you have ultimate control here. Your goal, your goal in all of this and the ways that you can use this buyer guide is to make it really easy for the buyer. You know, uh, you can make this a downloadable thing, which would be turned into what marketers would refer to as a tripwire. Um, you know, sometimes a tripwire is a low dollar event. You might charge somebody a dollar for it or you might give it away for free. You could literally use this in your sales presentation. You could, you could pull it out and say, hey, I'm really glad you asked that question. And you can pull out the, the buyer's guide. You can send it to somebody before a presentation. Now, I, I will tell you when I've tested this out, sending it to before a presentation, sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works against you, especially if your competition gets it in their hands. Uh, it's going to happen, just so you know. It's, it, somebody from a competing company firm, uh, industry service is going to get it, and they're going to tear it apart. Just, it's okay. You're against the law of averages. Okay, just so you know, this is going to be a working document. So this is why I'm saying start with these 10 things. 10 frequently asked questions, 10 should ask questions, 10 common mistakes. And what you're going to find is the first version that you're going to get this through is going to be about 80% right. The first version, you're going to be like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting my test done. I'm getting everything the way that it needs to be. Everything's going to be okay. But at the end of the day... Your whole goal is to start small and then validate. And the reason I say this is going to be a living document. You're going to evolve and change it over time. It's going to have to because as time goes on, your products and services change. Demands from the clients change to an extent. What you have to offer changes. And so you'll need to find better ways to modify the buyer's guide to make it better. So if you're like, hey, Scott, I'm going to go all wild and all crazy. I'm going to print a ton of them. No, no, that's a mistake. It's a working document. You, you want to make it to a minimal viable option. You, you're going to want to work it and massage it till you get it to the point where it's really helping you close the deal. It's really giving you leverage. It's really helping you out do what you need to do. 
And so, like, sometimes people will say, Scott, okay, what what all can I put in this thing besides a frequently asked question, should ask question, and 10 common mistakes? All right, well, I'm going to give you a whole list of things. Now, you don't want to make this thing overwhelming. You want to make it very elegant, very graceful, short and to the point. So sometimes people will come to me and go, Scott, great, here's what I got. I got 10 frequently asked questions, 10 should ask questions, 10 common mistakes, and they're like, that's that's not enough. I need more. <laughs> I need more. Okay, well, you know, here's the thing. You don't want this to be a 50-page document. You want it to be a minimal viable option. You want it to be just enough to close the deal or just a little bit more. So, I don't you could target between 5 and 10 pages realistically is going to be the thing that's going to push you over the hill. And it's it's going to come down to how much you write what kind of content you put in there. So let's add some some things that you could do. You could do awards. You could talk about awards that you've won in your, your industry, for your product, for your service. And sometimes it's just a label or a badge. And sometimes for some industries, that's good enough. They're like, oh, you worked with XYZ Company? That's fantastic. Okay. So I would do more awards than manufacturers. You could put a manufacturer. You could put their logo on there. And it might be a way for them to co-op the fund and help you pay for it. You could use testimonials strategically. And what I mean by that is you're not just using a testimonial like, oh, this is a good testimonial. Bob Smith says, A plus, I love your company. Okay, that is not a strategic testimonial. A strategic testimonial is one that helps overcome objections. It would be like John Jones. I was about to go with another company and spend less, but I found that it was the wrong decision to make. So I went with ABC Company here, and I'm so happy I spent more. I... I, my outcome was perfect and everything is good, okay? Maybe you talk about your warranties. You could have the best warranties in the industry, which is a talking point, okay? You could use guarantees. You could talk about what risk reversal that you offer. You could talk about risk reductions. You could talk about the speed of your product, how much faster it is, what it does for the buyer as a benefit. Remember, this is all benefit-driven. The longevity. How long should this thing last? possible savings you know and you always got to throw in your disclaimers that it's probably not going to work right on a wednesday on a full moon when you stub your toe getting out of bed uh, agreement for service sometimes that there's extended contracts where people will come out and service products um, your service level agreement your sla what the expectation is what the industry standard is it's like you could say hey our service level agreement is 24 hours the industry standard 72 like you're putting a benefit in there and you're making somebody have the ability to go back and, and you're essentially leaving them notes so that they don't have to take them. You could do a QR code, you know, that sends them to a video, that sends them to a whole bunch more of testimonials. Like, here's the thing. If I was going to put a video out and I was going to do like, hey, here is a, a video about my service, I would put a sizzle reel right in front of it. And if you don't know what a sizzle reel is, like when you watch a, a marketer's video or an expert's video, and it's got like the intro and maybe having them shake hands. You know, the scissor reel can really be to your benefit where it's got testimonials, where it's got reviews, where it's got awards. So it's like an inception level buyer's guide. It's a it's a content inside of content. You could put a chat link here. If you got questions, you know, hit up our chat line, hit up our 24-hour concierge service. You could give them an 800 number. And if you really want to go like, hey, look, Scott, I like this idea of a buyer's guide. And I like the idea that it's in print. You literally could turn it into video, which you could rip into audio. Then you could take the audio and turn it into a PDF. So there's so many different ways to do this. But in order to get started, you do need to list, make a list of your best features and then figure out how to highlight them. 
but not in a cheesy way. And you're like, all right, Scott, I like this. This is good, but let's do it even stronger. I'm like, okay, you want extra strength? You want the XXL version? <laughs> you want the one with all the disclaimers on it? Like when you're when you're watching an ad for a medicine and they're like, this may cause your foot to fall off and your eyes to bulge and your hair to grow. All right, let's do it. I got you. You go to a graphic designer. Once you get your minimal viable option, your MVO, once you get like, you know, 95%, 99% done, this isn't like you don't start here. Okay, just I want to make this very clear. This isn't where you start. This is after you've taken a look at it. You go to a graphic designer or you go to Fiverr, somewhere where someone's going to take this and they're going to make it pretty, but not too pretty because too pretty is like, this is too professional. You kind of want it to have a feel like you did it, not that the company did it, that you did it. And I hope this makes sense. If it's too pretty, too professional, you're going to get reactance or resistance to the message. People are going to be like, I'm not going to pay attention to this. So I'm going to give you an example outside of the world of sales. So you talk to enough website designers, they're going to tell you in order to close deals, sometimes ugly websites outperform nice and pretty websites. And you can always split test this, but I'm just going to give you the heads up. You make it too pretty, you're probably going to have problems. And you tell your graphic designer, please Make it look like a first-year person did this. Don't make it look like somebody who's been doing it for 30 years. I don't want it to look too professional. You could use images of people. And one of the coolest things that you can do, one of the coolest things that you can do when it comes to using an image is to use people who are smiling. It's an anchor. It's a prime. So just know that it's, it's an easy thing for you to do. And so, you know, here's the thing. You're like, Scott, I want to make it extra, 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 extra strong. <laughs> All right, I got you. We're going to go deeper. We're going to add more. So if you can help somebody actually make their decision and and help them see like, hey, here's a problem that you face, and I'm going to show you how to walk through the decision-making process. So you could make grids. You could, you could say like, here is our product. And like, let's say somebody says, Scott, I, I love what you have to offer. I love your product. I love your service, but I have to get three bits. Okay, so here's what you do is you line up the buyer's guide with your product or your service and you understand primacy and recency, which comes first and which comes last. And if you think about how people add stuff up, you anchor yours on the very end. So you you put the other two people's uh, content and you like it goes one, two, three is you with your name. Okay, and then you put a list of questions that you come up with that you define as important that you know that your competition doesn't have. And then you signify each of these boxes with a plus mark or a check mark or a negative unhappy smiley face, okay? And so like these anchors are ways for you to be better at what you do and, and help close some deals. So let me just go over this again. You help people by making their decision. And the way that you do that is you draw a grid. You make a grid and you label the grid. And when you label this out, you put yourself on the far right end. You are at the far right end, okay? And so then you go through. You put X's and O's, and if it's something only you have to offer, you drop an X in there because you know your competition can't do it because you have a better warranty. There's plenty of websites that do this. There's plenty of websites that do this. When you're looking at, like, SaaS, software as a service, when you're looking at buying something sometimes, they have this online, but, like, you would have to screenshot it. They don't have it for download. They don't have it available for you. So I want to give you 
a couple of different ways that you could actually use this buyer's guide. And first and foremost is you can put this in your presentation. You could. You could, you could literally put this in your presentation from the very beginning. You could send it out before your sales presentation, which I wouldn't recommend because it kind of gives away your punchline. So like I've tested sending it out, it's not as powerful as you would think, so I'm kind of give you a warning on that. Uh, you can get somebody to purchase it. I wouldn't let them download it for free. I would at least charge them a dollar. And the reason for that is they're paying for knowledge, which puts a little bit of skin in the game. You could use it for framework as a video or for a podcast. You could use it to try to get on the news. And then last up, let's talk through this. You're sitting with your buyer and they're like, you know, Scott, I just don't know exactly what to do at this point. I'm stuck between you and I'm stuck between XYZ company and there's extra possibilities out there. There's different things that we can do. So what, what are the options? Well, if you're stalled out, you're like, hey, wait a minute. I got the best thing ever for you. Why don't we do this? Let's go through this buyer's guide and see if I fulfill everything you need. And one level deeper, you get them to write on this thing because when they start writing, like they take control. And I will tell you, sometimes occasionally you lose a deal because of this, but more times than not, you win. So you take out the buyer's guide. You go through. Are these the things that you want? Is there anything that's missing? If there was one, then narrow it down. What's the one thing that's missing? What's the one thing that's missing? And I'm going to tell you 80% of the time they're going to tell you it's price, which is a bunch of crap. Okay? They're going to tell you it's price. Like that's the easiest objection. That's why buyers give it to you all the time. It's price. It's price. You got to be able to defend your ground and explain why that's a bad idea. And that's why one of the things that you should have in your buyer's guide is why price buying on price is a bad idea. Buying on price is a horrible idea. And when you have it listed out in your in your buyer's guide, it makes it that much easier. We we've, we've already addressed that. We've already talked about that. And then you get them initial next to things. You get them to cross it out. You get them to draw on it. And then you get to the decision boxes and you get them to start marking it up and saying, okay, so you see what we have to offer. You know, I I could tell you what my competition does because I researched them. I already know where they're at. I already know where they're going to be and I already know what they're going to do. I already know the presentation that they're going to give you. So like you, you have the capability of making this thing awesome and using it as a lever in a sales presentation. Now, let's go over the mistakes. Let's talk about mistakes. This buyer's guide is not a pitch fest. It's like you are not pitching your product the whole time. It's meant to be consumed information. It's meant to be really nice, really easy, really cool. It's not too technical. So they got this thing called the Flish Kincaid scale. Like they, they have the FK score. You can just go to Google and type in FK score. You want this thing to be around the fifth or the sixth grade level. You want it to be easy to digest, easy to read. Uh, I'm somebody who is very bad at punctuation. So I would have somebody read through it and look for grammatical errors. Because like there are some people who are super critical and they're like, if you can't put a period in the right spot, how do I expect you to deliver things? And then I have to remind them, don't tell me how to write English. You don't even speak proper English. But that's another story. Um, another mistake, no images, graphics, charts, or anything similar in the second version. Not in the first, the second. It's condescending. This whole thing is meant to be friendly. It's meant to help you close more deals. You go down the path of being condescending, it's going to be really tough on you. The information isn't that great. You do need to put some work into this. Like, so sometimes people hear me say, hey, go put the work in. They're like, I'm going to just slap something out in about 30 minutes. Eh -eh. It's probably going to take you about four to six hours to do something pretty cool, maybe a little bit longer. But remember, this is a living document. It's meant to change over time. It's meant to change. 
And you can be slightly controversial, but not crazy controversial. Don't be over the don't be over the top. Don't be like too crazy. Don't go don't go like Java guy crazy or in like uh, crazy town as they refer to it in in uh, improv. And then if you miss out on the call to action or contact information, remember you're making this really easy for the buyer. Like click here, sign, you know, go to this phone number. Those are all call to actions. Put a good call to action there. And I want to give you some last, last notes. You put a good one of these things together, you are 100% going to get ripped off. It's part of the game. So be willing and ready to modify it. You, you're you going to be one leg up on the people who who uh, just kind of like just, mm, I'm going to copy this and I'm going to hack it. They don't, they don't understand the underpinnings of it. As your competition builds out theirs, be willing to up your game. It's, a, it's going to become an arms race. That's how it is in the marketing world. That's how it is in the sales world. So you can do this too. You can, you can go buy a URL. So like uh, you could do how to buy a fillintheblank.com. And if somebody already has that, then you pluralize it or you modify it slightly. So, you know, how to buy a podcast.com. I don't know if that's available. I could care less. I'm not going to buy it. Okay. I'm not ever going to buy a podcast. There's nothing I'm going to do with that. And then add it to your call to action. You can add a 800 number. There's so many different things that you could you could do that you could use to later on advertise down the road. You know, and if you're a regional company, you can absolutely 100% license this, this thing. If you are, let's say, a small pest control company in uh, Sacramento, you could license this to somebody in Virginia, and they would be happy to have it. They'd be happy to know, like, oh, somebody put this together, and it actually works. You could get sponsorship or co-op. You could get your vendors to help pay you for it, pay for it and pay for some of the research and pay for some of the printing if if you put their logos on it. Now, do you have to? No, you don't. It's just an idea. Now, I want to give you one last piece of advice. I should have said this in the beginning. I am not a lawyer. <laughs> you're going to have to do some, some research whether or not you're making some claims that could or could not be legal. So there might be copyright laws at work. There might be trademark laws at work. So pay attention to what you're doing. Just pay attention to what you're doing. And I personally, this is just my decision, not telling you what to do, but I wouldn't specifically name a competitor in any paperwork or any documentation, whether it's the name of a company, a product, or even the name of a salesperson, just so you know, that's me. And then hand it to an attorney just to make sure that there's no implications. If you're like, mm, I don't know, well, I'm going to tell you the 250 to 300 bucks, the $500 that you would spend with an attorney is way less than a libel lawsuit or a slander lawsuit. Can't remember which one is uh, written but it's way less. And they may look at it and take 15 minutes and say, nope, everything's all good, or add a couple of words here, put some disclaimers down at the bottom, and you should be good to go. When you create a buyer's guide for someone to make a purchase, you are actually their hero. They may not come out and say like, oh my goodness, you are my favorite salesperson ever. But they may come back and pat you on the back and say, thank you for taking the time to put this together. It made the purchase for me so easy. That's the whole goal. Now, remember, your competition's freaking lazy. I have trained a lot of salespeople. I'm going to tell you, most salespeople are incredibly lazy. And I'm not talking about you. You're listening to a podcast. Most salespeople don't do that. They don't read books. They don't go to podcasts. They don't pay for their own training. They wait for mommy or daddy to do it, a.k.a. the boss or the company. So I know how this is how you got one leg up on the competition. So take some time. Build out a buyer's guide. See what happens. Put it together. Remember, minimal viable option. Then make it kind of pretty. Put some pictures, some images, some graphs, and call it good. You will be good to go. Thank you.
Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.